Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. Today we're going to be joined by Leslie Holloway and Spencer Tuma to talk about the clean water rule that is currently working its way through the process of becoming a final rule at the EPA. So let's get started. Today we are joined by our Senior Director of Regulatory Affairs, Leslie Holloway, and our Director of National Legislative Programs, Spencer Tuma. Welcome to the program, Leslie and Spencer. Appreciate you guys joining us today. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, one of the things that we um, have been working on for quite a while but haven't had a lot of um, new things to announce on it for a bit has been the clean water rule, and that's why I wanted to get you guys together today to discuss this. because. This is uh, something that is years in the making, and it's finally starting to get some traction. So, Leslie, the um, the new clean water rule, where did that come from, and what's kind of some of the background of, of how we got to where we are today? Well, that's an important part of the, the story, and um, we are trying to remind people who wouldn't necessarily be following this on a daily basis and wouldn't have any need to, but there were actually U.S. Supreme Court decisions in the early 2000s that started this process. And at that point in time, the agricultural community and the business community were anxious for the EPA and the Corps to recognize that these U.S. Supreme Court decisions really should change the way that those agencies look at what is federal jurisdiction. And so American Farm Bureau and and other organizations were pushing the agency at that time to actually put into the regulations the what the U.S. Supreme Court said because it was very favorable for landowners. Um, and, and that was several years ago, back in the Obama administration? Yes, it was actually prior to the Obama administration that those U.S. Supreme Court rulings came out. But, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, that regulation didn't move forward until the Obama administration came into uh, power. And then the proposed WOTUS rule was actually what was uh, put forth by the agencies, which went in exactly the opposite direction mm-hmm. of what should have happened as a result of those U.S. Supreme Court decisions. So, and, and that's that famous WOTUS rule that we've been fighting against for several years now, right? Exactly. And mm-hmm. when, when was that originally proposed? That came out in 2014, and it became final in 2015. Then there were a number of lawsuits filed, including uh, Missouri led the way on a lawsuit that actually um, has been successful to date in keeping the WOTUS rule from going into effect in Missouri as well as some other states. But it's the WOTUS rule that became final in 2015 is actually in effect Mm -hmm. in over 25 states at this point in time. So there's a real problem out there now in terms of – consistency between states on what is and is not federal jurisdiction. Yeah. And then when President Trump uh, got into office, he actually had made a, a pretty strong point during the campaign and uh, in speaking with his rural supporters about getting rid of that WOTUS rule. And he took pretty quick action uh, along that line. And that's kind of what has led us to where we are with this rule today, right? That's right. One of the first executive orders that President Trump issued was to repeal uh, and look at what we should have in place to specify what is federal jurisdiction over waters of the United States. And so the EPA started immediately to review that rule. Unfortunately, it's not as easy uh, as those of us in agriculture would like to make that kind of a change because it had already gone to the stage of being a final rule. And to kind of unwind that takes uh, 
very specific attention to detail. You have to make sure that you're following the law. You have to be prepared to make your case in court, which they're doing now. Have to have public comment periods, and so it's it's going to take some time. But the other thing that I like to try to remind people is that that process actually works to our benefit <laughs> in those cases where you've got regulations that we are not uh, in favor of. So mm-hmm. it's just a process that we have to go through. And and it was something that early on in the Trump administration there was a lot of concern in the ag industry that uh, the EPA was moving a little too fast on this mm-hmm. and playing a little bit too loose with their process. Yes. So that seems like that slowed, the, slowed it down a decent amount. And uh, otherwise, we may have already been at this point a little earlier in the game. Yeah. And at this day and age, you know, every regulatory proposal is going to be subject to litigation. That's just... Especially the, one this large. Yes. Yeah, and impactful uh, on on the environment. So it certainly is, uh, is something that we want to make sure is done right. So at this point now, we're in the in the latter stages of getting that new replacement rule put into place. That's right. Um, so where exactly technically are we on that? We're in the public comment period now on the revised definition of waters of the United States. And there was a hearing this week in Kansas City conducted by the EPA and the Corps of Engineers. Vice President, uh, Missouri Vice Farm Bureau Vice President Todd Hayes presented testimony on behalf of Farm Bureau. Um, and so they are taking public comment until April 15th. Um, after that, there will have to be a new uh, final rule um, prepared and promulgated. And they may take into account whatever the comments were exactly. that they got during that period. And we've heard uh, potentially a time, time frame of next spring having a final rule in mm-hmm. place. Great. And so what exactly is different about this rule from the WOTUS rule that was in place, uh, or that I guess technically is still in place in many states that the Obama administration had done? Well, in general, the changes are that it recognizes the state's primary authority to oversee water quality. That's that's one of the general changes that have been made, that every water does not have to be subject to federal permit in order to be able to protect water quality. In fact, the Federal Clean Water Act actually gives states the uh, primary role in overseeing water quality. And Missouri is, is a leader in that regard. We've done mm-hmm. a good job. Um, other, It also makes more clear what exactly is and is not a water of the United States so that you don't have to hire attorneys and um, professional consultants to come in before you start any type of field work uh, to determine whether you're affecting a, a water of the United States. And then it lastly, it, it, in general, it also stays within the scope of the Clean Water Act. So instead of the overreach that we think the WOTUS uh, rule actually um, embodied, where there was an attempt by the agencies to really go beyond the scope of the Federal Clean Water Act, mm-hmm. this proposed rule, we think, is more consistent with the Clean Water Act, with the Supreme Court decisions, and, and really narrows the focus where it should be. Uh, more specifically, looking at some of the, the terms within the definition, um, the terms for the definitions of tributary as well as ditches, um, things that are going to be have to be reviewed by a landowner to determine whether or not that is a water of the United States, those types of things are also defined in a clearer, more narrow way. You won't have, for instance, ephemeral 
uh, streams are no longer mm-hmm. within federal jurisdiction the way they were under the WOTUS rule. So those are the types of things that people will still have to uh, pay some attention to. Once we get a final rule, there will be guide guidelines uh, from various agricultural organizations and EPA so that landowners can make those determinations. And, and you mentioned that last night uh, on Wednesday, I suppose, uh, is that Wednesday? Is today? Today's Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm losing my mind as to when... It's the bad weather. It's, been, it's getting to your mind. <laughs> it's been a rough uh, few weeks here. It keeps on coming snow and ice and everything. So, uh, But so, yes, last night there was this hearing in Kansas City, Kansas, that both of you attended where uh, Vice President Todd Hayes spoke uh, in favor of the rule in large part. We have a few things that still need to be looked at and revised, we believe, to, to really be the best rule. But in general, he was supportive of it. And both of you were able to attend it um, and listen not only to Vice President Hayes's testimony, but some of the other people both for and against it. Um, Spencer, what did what were your big takeaways from that hearing? And um, what, what were the biggest arguments in favor and opposed to it that you heard? Sure. I think, you know, anytime you attend an EPA hearing or or anything related to water, you know, water is something that is essential to life. And so you hear a lot of very, very differing viewpoints, um, but you sometimes hear a lot of fear at those hearings. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of people on the other side are very concerned that this is going to make their water dirty. Some people were even calling it the dirty water rule, whereas we call it the clean water rule. And I think the biggest thing we tried to demonstrate, and Vice President Hayes did a wonderful job, was that farmers care about clean water, and they care about environmental um, environmental stewardship. Um, farmers are some of the best stewards of our land and water, uh, we believe, in the entire world. And so really trying to... Um, take those fears into account, but assure people that farmers and ranchers do care about clean water was something that we really tried to bring through in our testimony. Yeah, that balance is is what we're really looking for. Mm -hmm. We want to have clean water. We also want to have clear rules so we can make sure that we can keep the water clean. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it is a very emotional issue. And this is something that people get very uh, afraid that something is going to um, harm their family. They start Mm -hmm. to come out and um, in force. So I think this is going to be a long process. The common period may get drawn out a little bit. We, I guess it remains to be seen yep. um, once we get to, towards that deadline. But between now and then, um, as, as you mentioned, Leslie, we do have a common period that goes through the middle of April through tax day, I guess, is the current yes. end of it, right? Um, so what are some of the ways that we can uh, comment, that, that the average person can comment if they have um, thoughts that they want to share with the EPA to take into account in this rule? Great question. So it's actually really important for the general public and for Missouri Farm Bureau members to get involved in the public comment period. You can actually use our online action center if you go to mofb.org and click on action center. There will be a little picture that says clean water, clear rules. If you just click on that, uh, you can enter your information. We have a message preloaded in there for you, but you're welcome to customize it. You can write as little or as much as you want. And then if you hit send message, it will submit your comment to the docket for EPA and the Corps' review. So it's very easy to do. Uh, If you're not signed up for our Action Center, you can text MOFB to 50457 and get signed up for those alerts. So we're going to be taking comments through the end of the comment period. Very good. And I also saw that uh, you were able to take a video of uh, Vice President Hayes' comments at the hearing yesterday, and that is up on our Facebook page Mm -hmm. if you'd like to see what 
Farm Bureau's comments were. Um, you can watch that. It's only a couple of minutes, a pretty short amount of testimony because they had a lot of people to get through there. Um, but it, it did seem like we got the point across pretty well. Uh, he, he was very good at uh, laying out what our position is and, and what we do think still needs to be tweaked a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and on that note, Leslie, what, what are the, some of the things that you do um, believe in your analysis uh, so far that we ought to encourage EPA to take another look at and, and clarify some more? Well, yes, and I also should say that uh, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources is also uh, working at doing an analysis to try to make sure mm-hmm. that anything that might impact Missouri specifically, um, we do raise with EPA. But um, ditches are an issue that in Missouri we have a unique situation uh, in the boot heel, mm-hmm. especially a very unique uh, feature. And so the rule says that for the most part, uh, farm-related ditches, roadside ditches, are not considered waters of the United States, but they also do have a caveat where there is drainage from, for instance, upland cropland that those may be considered uh, waters of the United States. And so there has to be a little more specific um, analysis done to try to determine how far that uh, extends. Um, we've had a couple of questions from landowners about other types of uh, features. There's um, mitigation banking that is going on now where if you have a project that requires a Corps of Engineers permit, in some cases there's a requirement that wetlands acreage that may be taken uh, out of the environment can be offset by purchasing wetland acreage that's considered a banking of wetlands acreage mm-hmm. for purposes of, of preserving that type of uh, uh, feature. And so the definition of waters of the United States will have a very direct impact on how much of that type of acreage has to be offset. Very good. Well, definitely is an important thing to, co- to comment on in the next few weeks here. If uh, anybody has thoughts that they'd like to share, do go to that Action Center on our website at mofb.org to uh, enter your comments so that EPA can take them into account. Uh, Moving to a slightly different topic, uh, we do have a lot of um, ongoing negotiations on the trade front. Mm -hmm. And Spencer, we've talked about this uh, a lot over the past few weeks. And I think that we've said several times that if we're able to see some movement uh, in the Chinese negotiations, that March 1st deadline for the 25% raise on uh, the tariffs to be raised to 25% on $200 billion of Chinese goods may be delayed. And it looks like we got some promising um, action on that. Yeah. So I'm excited to be on the podcast and have good news to deliver on trade. So um, last week, the Chinese agreed to purchase an additional 10 million metric tons worth of U.S. soybeans, which is huge progress um, for the U.S. market. Uh, We did see, because of that progress and other progress that has been made, President Trump agreed to um, kind of extend the deadline. So originally, as you said, as of March 1st, if significant progress had not been made, then the U.S. would be levying additional tariffs on Chinese goods, about $200 billion worth. Because of the progress that's been made, President Trump has stated that the U.S. will not be levying additional tariffs and that we will continue to move forward with negotiations with the Chinese. Now, uh, some people, I think, speculate that an agreement could be really close, and others speculate that an agreement is maybe a little farther away than some of us think. Um, But for now, it's good news in the short term, and hopefully we'll continue to make progress uh, for a longer-term agreement. And 
did he set another actual hard deadline for those to be pushed back to or just kind of indefinitely delayed? My understanding is that um, the U.S. Trade Representative announced that there would not be an official deadline set, so it's kind of extended indefinitely. Um, But I I would venture to speculate that uh, if progress is not made over the next couple of weeks or so, uh, that we may start to see some dates thrown around. But as of now, there's no deadline. Okay. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably keep that in his back pocket to be um, brought out when he feels like it's necessary. Sure. Um, the one other thing that we want to touch on today is very big news, but it's been um, also something that's uh, under the surface a little bit for the past few months. We've been working on it and uh, mentioned it when, when the preliminary report came out a little while ago that the uh, University of Missouri has been working with Farm Bureau and the Department of Agriculture and several other entities in the in, in the agricultural policy space to do a study to see what um, additional opportunities there are for value-added manufacturing in Missouri. And just yesterday, that final, that full study was released, uh, and it is available to be viewed on the, um, the Missouri Foundation for Agriculture website. And it's a, a pretty large and in-depth study, about 150 pages, give or take, that talks about what opportunities there are to expand Um, manufacturing in Missouri. Um, What are some of those top-line takeaways there? Yeah, so my biggest takeaway from that is some of the statistics that were thrown out kind of in in the press release about the study. I haven't Mm -hmm. had a chance to do a deep dive into the text yet, but Right off the bat, you know, seventy thousand potential for seventy thousand new jobs in mm-hmm. the state of Missouri. You know, I would venture to guess that some of those would appear in rural communities. Some of them are, of course, going to appear in urban centers, but that kind of job growth is certainly uh, something that caught my attention. And then an additional twenty-five billion dollars worth of added economic activity in our mm-hmm. state. Those are pretty big numbers, and and my understanding is those estimations are not made based on kind of an overzealous implementation of right. the study, if you will. It was a fairly will. conservative um, approach, approach to right. implementing the study. So, right. you know, I'm really looking forward. I know that um, there's going to be a working group put together to see, you know, kind of what are the next steps. We have the study. We've identified the potential. We've maybe identified some barriers to this sort of growth in our state. So then what are the things that we can do to try to bring some of this economic activity to Missouri? Right. And the basic premise was that Missouri does a great job of raising crops and and, uh, growing crops and raising livestock. And and also forestry was involved in this as well. We have a huge forestry industry, actually, in Missouri, and especially the southern portion of Missouri. But we have a tendency to ship a lot of those things to other states to actually be processed for final use. And that's where a lot of the value uh, gets added to the commodities. And is there an opportunity, it wanted to explore if there was an opportunity to keep some of that uh, processing here in uh, local communities in the state um, and capture that value in Missouri rather than shipping it off to another state, one of our neighbors, where they get that value. So the the uh, $25 billion that you ref- referenced would be an increase of more than 50% um, of what we currently produce. We, uh, we right now, I think our value added portion is, is somewhere around $48 billion. Mm-hmm. So um, adding another $25 billion to that would, again, be a, an increase of more than uh, 50% of, over what we have today. And that would be just in the next eight years if we follow these uh, recommendations. So next steps are that we're going to attempt to um, convene a task force and put actual concrete uh, proposals out to how to um, capture this actual, uh, the studies, 
proposals and turn them into reality. Mm -hmm. So over the next year, we hope to get those actually turned into concrete proposals. So there's a lot of promise there. Yeah, I absolutely think so. And and I think it could, um, if you really think about it, you know, a lot of these conversations have been going on for a really long time. Just last year in in 2017, I guess that's been almost two years ago, uh, Missouri Farm Bureau delegates actually adopted policies stating that they would be in favor of efforts to attract more livestock processing facilities to our state. We also have uh, efforts underway in the state capitol to make it where producers can feed more animals in the state of Missouri. So um, I think some of those efforts are steps that are already being taken, and hopefully we'll see those come to fruition. Uh, and maybe, you know, with the processing facility, this task force is the, the first step to kind of getting that project potentially off the ground. So um, I think there's some really exciting things being done and being talked about, um, but hopefully we can see some results. Yeah. And as President Hurst said in his statement about this yesterday, this has the potential to be transformational for rural Missouri, because uh, adding 70,000 new jobs and $25 billion more dollars of economic activity would make a huge difference. And most of these uh, would probably be in the rural areas and would also add to the demand for the commodities we already produce. For sure. Which is always a good thing when you're looking at uh, supply and demand. You want more demand if you're a farmer. So. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, appreciate you guys joining us again today and uh, look forward to seeing what happens with the clean water rule and the, the trade negotiations, as well as the proposals we actually get out of this manufacturing study. Sounds, Sounds great. Sounds we'll good. See you next week. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Again, if you would like to comment on that clean water rule or get any of our other action alerts, please do go to our website at mofb.org and sign up for our action alerts. We will talk to you next week.